Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives that we were created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve. And if that's too many words and too many C's for you, you can simply say what our mantra is here, live, love, serve. Amen? Amen. The text that we will be reading from today is, can be found in 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. I think I told them accidentally verse two and I apologize. It's actually 1 Samuel 10 uh, verse one. And then we're gonna skip down to seven. And it reads, Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him. He said, the Lord has anointed you ruler over his people Israel. You shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their enemies all around. Now this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you ruler over his heritage. Skip down to verse 7. It says, now when these signs meet you, do whatever you see fit to do, for God is with you. Let us pray. God, we are here today. Active participants in this worship experience. Today, God, we will not let you do all of the work. Today, we will participate in our own healing, in our own transformation. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be with one another, even if it's only connected through where you are, oh God. We thank you for community today, God. And we thank you for this word that will land on good soil. We declare today that no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what we are going through or what we are experiencing today, we will be the good soil, God. Let the seeds be planted. Let them be watered. And in due time, God, let them grow. We love you. We are grateful for what you have already done. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I just want to lift up verse 7 to you again. It says, now when these signs meet you, do whatever you see fit to do, for God is with you. You may be seated. 
Y'all, I'm getting old. I'm closer to 40 than I am to 30. And if you look really closely, you can see all this gray coming in as a result of my children. Um, and as I get older, I find that I am losing things more often. Anybody else? Always losing things. And I hate losing things because I always seem to lose them at the most inopportune time. You're in a rush, you're trying to get out the house, you can't find your keys. Or you have somewhere to go, you know you need this particular outfit and you can't find what you need. And when you live with toddler thieves, you never know where your stuff is going to end up. And it's so frustrating to be looking for something that is lost and not know where to find it. And, you know, most of us, we do, after we fuss at ourselves and we get so mad about the fact that we can't find the thing, then we begin to do a couple of things to find the stuff, right? We try to go back and retrace our, you know, our steps. Okay, what, what pants were, were I wearing when I lost my debit card? And you try to retrace your steps and go back to the last place you were before you lost it. And we often also go and ask someone, have you seen my stuff? Did you move my stuff? Because I know I left it there. I probably didn't leave it there, but I thought I left it there. Did you move it? And it's so frustrating to lose things. And usually we either retrace our steps and we, we find that we find the thing, or we give up and we're like, forget it, I'll get a new one. Or it shows up years late and you're like, oh, that's where that thing went. But what happens when the thing that you have lost is yourself? What do you do when you lose yourself? What is the process of going back and retracing your steps to find the place in which you lost yourself? It's not as easy or as simple because it's not a tangible thing. And when I'm saying we are lost, I don't mean physically lost. But I mean the lost where we have lost pieces of ourselves. And we no longer can locate ourselves. We are no longer authentic to ourselves. We have no internal compass. We have no internal guide. We have no North Star for our decisions because we no longer trust ourselves because we have lost ourselves. And other people and other things that have defined us, we don't know who we are. We don't know what we want. We don't know how to get it. We don't know what to do. We are lost. And it's not always so simple to just go back and try to find it. And so what I find is that oftentimes when we can't go back, that God allows us to move forward and sets up opportunity for us in our everyday mundane life to go on a journey where we can recover the parts of ourselves that we have lost. And that's a little bit more difficult to do when you don't know you're lost, right? But even then, God can take you on a journey where you think you're going on that journey for one thing, but God has a very different reasoning in mind. Enter Saul. Saul, who has been told by his father to go recover some lost donkeys. He don't know where they are. He don't know when the donkeys left, but he's like, he go get the donkeys because donkeys were worth money. So he takes the servant boy and he and um, the servant begin to go on a quest to find these donkeys. And after a few days of being unable to locate them, Saul says, you know what, let's just go back because you know what, um, our, my dad is going to start worrying about us rather than worrying about the donkey. So let's just turn and go back. But the boy says, no, 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 let's go into the town. 
Because if we go into this town, there is a man, and whatever he says is true. Perhaps he can tell us something about the journey that we have set out on. Perhaps he can tell us something about the journey that we have set out on. So Saul agrees because he needs to go back home with these donkeys. And they go into the town and they run into the seer, also known as a prophet, also known as Samuel. And Samuel was already in expectation of Saul coming because the day prior, God had revealed to Samuel that Saul was going to be the first king of Israel. So for a little backstory about the people of Israel, they had no king. They were a theocracy. That means they were God-led, right? So they had no king, and this was a way that they were supposed to be set apart from the other nations and the other people, but they were looking around. They were seeing the other nations. They were like, they got a king? We want a king, right? So they began to ask God to give them a king. And so finally, God says, I've heard the voices of my people. Fine, I'm gonna give you a king. And Saul has been chosen to be the first king of Israel. Now, Saul doesn't know this because he's just going to find some donkeys, but Samuel is aware of this. And so when they meet up, Samuel says, come, come to my house, come eat, go to sleep. And when you wake up, I will tell you about all that is on your mind. Oh, and by the way, the donkeys, they've been lost for three days and they were found. Well, pause. Because Saul's question was, where are the donkeys? Right? And Samuel answers it by saying, the donkeys have been found. But stay, because I will tell you all that is on your mind, which means that there was something else on Saul's mind that maybe he wasn't even aware of. Right? Because sometimes... Our soul asks questions of God that our mouths are too afraid to utter. So here, Saul is asking his soul some question that he may not even really be aware of. He thinks it's about the donkeys, but Samuel knows it's about something greater. Stay and I will tell you everything that is on your mind. And Saul's response is he's a little turned off by that. He says, do you know who you're talking to? I'm a Benjaminite. I'm the least of the tribe and my family is the humblest of them all. How can you say this? Because what Samuel says next is, who else should we be fixed on but you and your ancestral house? Who else would all of Israel be fixed on? And Saul is like, man, what are you talking about? I don't understand. I am a Benjaminite. And it's so interesting that the first thing that Saul would say to describe himself is that he is a Benjaminite. Because the tribe of Benjamin, if you know about the history of the people of Israel, they, um, the, the Jacob's son, he had 12 sons, and each of them became a tribe in Israel. And because Benjamin was the youngest son, he got the last of the last, right? That's not how the world works. All, all, every young person I know, every youngest sibling is the most spoiled in life now. My sister got all the things, right? That I was like, I had to work hard as the oldest, and my sister was just like, I'll get, I get a car, I get a house, I get whatever. Like, what is that, right? But that's not how it worked then. If you were the youngest, you got the smallest piece. And so the tribe of Benjamin kind of had this chip on their shoulder 
because they were the smallest nation. They had the least amount of people and they always felt like they were the least of the tribe. So that is how Saul is situating himself. I'm in the least of the tribe and my family is the least of these. And that is what he's using to describe himself. But what's so interesting is if you go to the beginning of chapter nine, that is not how the text describes Saul. It does say that he is from the tribe of Benjamin. That is very true. But you know what else it says? His daddy was a man of wealth. That means Saul's daddy had money, so Saul was rich. It also said that he was handsome. And it didn't just say he was handsome. It said he was the most handsome man in Israel. So he was rich. He was fine. And then it said he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Tall, dark, handsome, and rich. Half of the women watching right now, that's on their list for a man, right? So that is who Saul was. Tall, I'm just saying he's dark. I'm just adding that in, but whatever. Tall, you know, dark, handsome, rich, young. And when he describes himself, I'm a Benjaminite, the least of these. And maybe right there is the crux of what the deeper question Saul had, which is how do I escape the confines of my lesser self? How do I come to understand myself as more than what I see myself as right now? Because really, how did Saul come to contextualize himself in that way? But if you think about it, these are an oral people. So they telling stories, telling stories. And how many times do you think that Saul had to hear, we're the Benjaminites, we're the least of these, even though he was rich and handsome, even though he had these things. You ever know someone who can have all the things, but if they don't feel it for themselves, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So Saul had these things, but all he could see was that he was less than. And here Samuel is standing before him and telling him, All Israel is fixed on you. That's a lot. So Samuel goes to sleep. Saul goes to sleep. They wake up. And in the morning, in the morning, they walk, and it says in our text that we read today that, um, that you know, Saul, Samuel, it's too many S's. Samuel poured the vial onto Saul and anointed him privately as king. And then he says to him, here are the signs that you will know that you have been anointed. Because I think that God understood something about Saul and Saul's maybe propensity to self-sabotage because when you um, have self-doubt and you don't trust yourself, it doesn't matter how many things, how many signs you get, how many, you're never gonna walk in the thing. So Saul was never gonna fully believe probably that he was supposed to be the king. So I'm gonna give you these signs and you're gonna know. And remember, we can talk to God right directly now, but back then that wasn't how it was. God wasn't just talking to everybody, right? So Samuel talking to God, you can take that to the, um, Samuel talking to Saul, you can take that to the bank as if God talks to us because he was the intermediary, right? And so he's saying, these are the signs that you're gonna know. And we didn't read the signs because it was a lot of verses, but you can go back and read the signs in verse two through six. And then Samuel says, and when you meet these signs, 
Do whatever you feel fit to do, for God is with you. You ever just let a verse breathe? Sometimes we read scripture so quickly that we miss the importance of it. We move on to verse 8, but if you let verse 7 breathe, there is so much in it. Saul, who doesn't trust himself, who doesn't fully know himself, who just went out to go find a few donkeys, has now been told that he is going to be king, and he's trying to ingest that and digest that. I'm about to be a king. I don't even know what a king does. We've never seen a king. We don't have a king. We don't know. No skills, no resume, no nothing. Just plopped out the sky and chosen. Not even sure why he was chosen. And now, I don't trust myself. I just learned I'm going to be king. And you tell me when I meet the signs to do whatever I want to do. What happens when you give a person who doesn't trust themselves the freedom of choice? What happens? Panic. Fear. Because you don't really know what to do. We're good with doing what we're told. But you're telling me to just do whatever I see fit to do? Understand something about Saul being an Israelite. They had rules for everything. If you read the first five books, all it is is rules. Leviticus ain't nothing but a book of rules. What to wear, what to eat, women what to do when you get your period. There were rules for everything. Where to step your toe, where not to step your toe. Saul was used to rules. And now you tell me to do what I see fit to do? When you've been telling us all along, God, what to do? And even further than that, my people are constantly getting in trouble because it says they kept doing what was right in their own eyes. Every time they did what was right in their own eyes, God would punish them. If you read the book of Judges, that's literally what it says. It's a cycle of it says, and they did what was right in their own eyes. God lets the enemies take them. Then God raises up a judge to save them. Then they did what was right in their own eyes. So doing what was right in their own eyes was wrong. They were constantly falling out of rightness with God. And now you tell me to do whatever I see fit to do? Mm, I don't know about that. And if we think about our own lives, even if you think about how some of us might have been raised to understand Christianity, it said, baby, be hot or cold. You don't be lukewarm, right? Rules, everything is rules. You do this, you do that. There is a right, there is a wrong, and you do the right thing so you can get to heaven. If you don't do the right things, then you're going to hell. Rules. And even though we say we want to be free, We actually like the rules because the rules keep us boxed in. The rules help us gauge ourselves. The rules allow us to let some people be out and other people be in. So we say we want to be free, but we really want the rules. God, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. God, if you tell me to go left, I'm going to go left. But that isn't trust. That's obedience. And anyone can obey. 
Dogs can obey. You can obey someone, but not trust them. And so sometimes we think that God needs us to make a particular choice. And there's a right and wrong. When God just says no, just choose. Because when you choose and walk in what you've chosen, you show that you trust me. You show that you understand that I'm with you no matter what path you take. And there's not necessarily a wrong or right path. They are just paths. Growing up, um, growing up uh, there used to be these books. And some of y'all might remember the Choose Your Own Adventure books. And if you don't, Google it. You know, y'all, you know, my three-year-old can Google on Wikipedia and YouTube and stuff. But Choose Your Own Adventure were these books written in second person. And basically you, when you read the book, you took on the main character or the protagonist. And you were able to choose whatever adventure you wanted. You made the choice and the story unfolded based on what choices you made in the book. There were no wrong or right choices. They were just adventures. Right? And I liken it to this. <laughs> what happens when you get the test and all the multiple choice answers are right? What happens when we think of scriptures like Deuteronomy when it says, I put before you, you know, blessings and curses, life and death, choose life so your descendants may live. And it's like, I put before you blessings and blessings, life and life, choose life so that you may live. When all the choices are yes, what happens then? But that's scary when you don't know yourself. It's scary to walk in that freedom because so many of us rather live in the lie than embrace the truth of the free. We rather live in the lie than embrace the truth. And we're so used to the bad narratives that we have told ourselves and allowed other people to tell us that when we come to making a decision, we aren't really making the decision. Our mom is making the decision. Our friends is making the decision. People who aren't in our lives are making the decision because we don't really know what we want. We know how to locate what we want and what everybody else wants. And every time we do that, we disconnect from ourselves. I'll never forget when I first um, started going into therapy and my, my, my therapist would ask me a very simple question that we probably always get asked all the time. How do you feel? Good. Fine. And she was like, no, give me a, you know, give me a good adjective for how you feel and tell me where you feel it in your body. I was like, what? And I really couldn't do it because I didn't really know what I felt. And so she gave me a sheet of paper with all these different adjectives for happy, for sad, for lamenting, for this, and all the body parts. And one of my tasks was to literally every day at some point in the day to identify how I felt and where I felt it in the, my body. So that in any instance, if I couldn't necessarily describe what I felt with my words, that I would know what the feeling was like. And it was a way to help reconnect myself back into my body. Because often when asked what we want, we don't know. So what if God says to you, I've given you all the signs? Because some of us have sign upon sign. There is something in your life where you have probably gotten 703 signs. And I'm telling it doesn't matter. Another sign can come. But if you don't trust yourself, you're never going to make a decision. It doesn't matter how many signs God sends you. If you don't do something with the signs, 
It's pointless. But you can't do something if you don't trust yourself. And the, um, the philosopher uh, Kierkegaard says this, that anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. He says um, that anxiety is the dizzying effect of looking into the boundlessness of one's own possibility. That the reason why we get anxiety is because we have choice. And in looking at all the different options, we don't know what to do. Because it's scary. And really, if we're honest, when we choose, there's no scapegoat. If you make a choice and it completely blows up in your face, there's nobody to blame. And that's why a lot of us want to wait on God. We won't say that, but the true thing is because if it doesn't work out as we thought, it could be like, but God, you said, but God, you told me. But if we just make the choice for ourselves, then we have to deal with whatever the consequences are of choosing that path. And we don't want that responsibility. We don't want to be free. We don't want to be free. And so here is Saul, who is told, when you meet the signs, do whatever you see fit to do, and God will be with you. And I just want to be clear about something, because what I'm not saying is that in every decision, every choice in your life, that that is the case. Because if you go ahead and skip to verse 8, Samuel gives Saul some very clear instructions. You're going to go down to Gilgal. You're going to wait eight days. I'm going to come, you know, offer up some burnt offering, and then I'll tell you what to do. And Saul disobeys that. And because of that, he does become king, but, um, but he, um, God begins to raise up David. So I'm not, be clear that I'm not saying that it's always the case. That in everything, God is saying, do whatever you see fit. Because there are moments and markers where there is something that God is pushing us to. But you know those moments. I'll never forget when I was, um, when I was, when I was moving to New York back in 2008. And I had gotten all these different signs. I had come and visit here. Um, and, you know, I was, you know, I came here with my old church, with my old pastors and I wasn't even supposed to be here, but I was here, and I loved it. And you know, when you visit New York, it's different than living in New York. So you're just like, oh my, it's so amazing, the lights. And that's when we weren't on punishment, so we could just all be outside, right? And, I, and you, know, you know, I'm a former dancer, so I was outside the Ailey um, studio, and I was by the sign, and I was like, God, just leave me here. I didn't mean it. I was just like caught up in the nostalgia of New York. And then all these things started to begin to happen. My aunt was like, hey, you know, I'm moving to upstate New York. If you ever want to just move to New York, I have a two-bedroom apartment. I'm like, I don't need it because I don't want to move to New York. But all these things, good and bad, started happening that started pushing me. So I had all the signs that New York was where I was supposed to be, but I was still vacillating. And I remember going on a walk and talking um, to God. And this is one of the few times I'm like clear that God was like talking to me. And I remember God telling me, I mean, I journaled it. It was like, you can stay in California and you will be successful and I will be with you. But if you go to New York, I will do things beyond what you can imagine. 
but God made it clear that it was my choice. It was no wrong answer. I was going to be successful either way, and it was my choice. And clearly we can see what choice I made because you know, I'm here in New York and I'm not in California. But there are moments when there is no right answer. It is simply the choice that validates the fact that you truly trust God. So you might be asking yourself then, well, how do I know? It says, you know, do what you see most fit. How do I know what is most fit for me? And I would say if you're asking that question, that's like the donkey. That's not the real question, right? The real question you're asking yourself is how do I begin to trust myself again so that I can make choices? And it's easy to say but hard to do. You choose things. You begin to choose, and you choose the path that beckons you to live the most. That's how you choose. You choose the path that calls to you the most deeply. We always say every week we live the lives that we are created to live. You choose the path that makes you feel alive. Um, Rumi, the poet Rumi has, uh, has this poem and part of it, it says, seek the path that demands your whole being. Leave that which is not, but appears to be. And seek that which is, but is not apparent. Seek the path that demands your whole being. Leave that which is not, but appears to be. Seek that which is, but is not apparent. And here's the thing. No matter what path you choose, it is a healing path. Because with every step that you make on that path, you are coming back to yourself. You're trusting yourself. You understand, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't have done that, or oh, I thought about that, but you are identifying and locating yourself and what you need, and you are being healed. And I want to leave you with this. Um, there is this phenomenal little um, poetry book that I'm almost using as a devotional. It's called Small Cures by Della Hicks Wilson. She's a black poet. And one of the poems um, says this. The scariest thing about healing is blowing up buildings, watching the giants fall slowly. You know hurt. You've lived inside her so long that you don't know anything about being the architect of your own home from above the wreckage. This is the time to learn. Saul didn't know he was lost. Saul didn't understand that the home that was being built, and by home I mean yourself, was built on the wreckage of everybody else's thoughts, opinions, and ideas. And if you continue to read the story of Saul, you find that this follows him. Saul actually never overcomes this. And it leads to his downfall. But guess what? We have a different opportunity to be brought back to ourselves, to choose 
the path that calls us to live the lives that we are created to live, to begin to trust ourselves, to find the pieces of ourselves that have been lost because they're necessary for the next path you're going on, for the next journey that you're about to embark on. You need all the pieces of yourself. And so I know we started the service with the contemplative moment, but as we end this service, I want you to, wherever you are, to stop for a moment. And I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine that you are at a fork in the road. Many different paths that look many different ways in front of you. Some look easy, some look scary, some nondescript and you can't tell. Now I want you to imagine that God is standing right beside you, holding your hand. And for those of you who hear me right now, who know that you've received all the signs, you've met the signs, but you were afraid to make the wrong choice. I want you to eliminate the notion of right or wrong, that it won't work out. to block out the opinions and the thoughts of what other people will think, who will validate you, who will affirm you, because really when God affirms your choice, what other affirmation do you need? And as you stand at the fork with these many paths, with God next to you, I want you to see yourself beginning to just choose the one that is beckoning you the most. Even if it is the most scary, God is with you. Even if you're unsure, you're good and covered. And you understand and you know and you feel the comfort of what it means to be in a trusting relationship with God. And that no matter what, God is with you. If the walls that you built up to protect yourself begin to fall, God is with you. If giants in your life begin to fall slowly, that God is with you. See yourself above the wreckage. Be the architect of your own life. 
of your own freedom, of your own choice. God, we thank you. We thank you that you love us enough to trust us. And God, today I am inviting us to give you just as much trust as you give us. To believe and understand that there is something beyond just being obedient. God, we desire to recover the lost parts of ourselves, even if that means that we have to lose other things to fully find ourselves, God. Help us to release with open hands so that we can come back to ourselves, know ourselves truly, authentically, wholly, fully as good whole and lacking nothing. God, we are so grateful that you have called us not just to life, but to a life more abundant. Help us to choose the abundant paths, the life-giving paths, instead of the paths that may be comfortable, the paths that look like what we want, but are facade. Help us to trust ourselves to make a decision even when we aren't sure, God, to do our best with what we have in the moment, God, knowing that we will gain wisdom that helps us untie the knots as we continue on. We love you, God. We are grateful. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.